want to greet each of excuse me want to greet each of you in Jesus name this morning and it's good to have been here I had a proposition for Marvin here he could just come up right now and take on and I'll take Wednesday night that sounded good for the moment anyways um, sounds like an interesting discussion maybe I'll have to put a plug in there and it kind of goes along a little bit with my message today and I've struggled to put a title to it it comes through just thoughts that I have randomly running through my head at times which get scary so I'll be honest I changed the heading three times already I guess I'll stick with stick with what I got but um, turn with me if you would to second chronicles chapter 29 in our devotions we're reading through the Old Testament and uh, as Norman said in Sunday school it's very interesting uh, some of those stories that we heard or remember from a while back, and yet to read them again, how, I don't know if I can call it refreshing it is, but just a glimpse of what life is like. And to make my point this morning or my storyline or setup, I'm going to just read a couple verses in chapter 29. I'm going to read verses 1 and 2. And then I'm going to jump to chapter 32 and read a verse, and then jump to 33 and read a few verses. But it's just to provoke a thought. And this isn't the only time this happens in the Old Testament. In fact, it happens a lot in the Chronicles. Chapter 29, the first two verses. Hezekiah began to reign when he was five and twenty years old, and he reigned nine and twenty years in Jerusalem, and his mother's name was Abijah, the daughter of Zechariah. And he did that which was right in the sight of the Lord, according to all that David his father had done. Okay, I'm going to jump to chapter 32. I'm going to read verse 33. It's the last verse, and then move on into chapter 33. And uh, Hezekiah slept with his fathers, and they buried him in the chiefest of the sepulchres of the sons of David and all Judah. And in the inhabitants of Jerusalem did him honor at his death. And Manasseh, his son, reigned in his stead. Chapter 33. Manasseh was 12 years old when he began to reign. And he reigned 50 and 5 years in Jerusalem. But he did that which was evil in the sight of the Lord, like unto the abominations of the heathen whom the Lord had cast out before the children of Israel. For he built again the high places which Hezekiah his father had broken down. And he reared up altars for Balaam, and made groves, and worshipped all the hosts of heaven, and served them. And he built altars in the house of the Lord, whereunto the Lord had said in Jerusalem, Shall my name be forever. And he built altars for all the hosts of heaven in two courts of the house of the Lord. And he caused his children to pass through the fire in the valley of the son of Himnon. Also he observed times, used enchantments, and used witchcraft, and dealt with familiar spirits and with wizards. He wrought much evil in the sight of the Lord to provoke him to anger. And he set a carved image, the idol which he had made in the house of God, and which God had said to David and to Solomon his son, In this house and in Jerusalem, which I have chosen before all the tribes of Israel, will I put my name forever." If you didn't get the point, there's quite a contrast. We have a, a father, Hezekiah, which did right, the Bible says. And then we have a son, Manasseh, that did absolutely evil. And they took the time to list it all out. What happened? 
The original title of my message was One Generation Away from Nothing. But I've changed it to the race of life. How many of you enjoy running? Wow. You're all like me. I do not enjoy running. It's, it's work, and it usually hurts. But today I'd, look, I'd like to look at our life slightly as a race. And how does that tie into the next generation? I believe it ties in in the sake of how we run determines maybe how the race turns out. And you say, well, how can that be? How many have ever run in a baton relay race? How much are you responsible for? Fourth, if it's a, yes, if it's four, do you tell everybody else how to run or do you worry about your section that you run? Today, I'd kind of like to maybe focus more on your section and my section where, I'm, where we're running. And I know I've been in a race where the baton has literally been dropped physically. It hits the ground. That's, that's a really, really bad thing. And maybe that's what happened in our scripture today. But it can be a smooth operation. I've watched it, you know, the, the guy that's going to take off starts running and then the guy runs up behind him and it's just this pass off that can be beautiful if it works. How many of you have friends and family and cousins or other people that you know of that have left the faith? You don't need to answer that, but I'd like you just to think about it. What is happening? It's amazing how that you can have the same grandfather to the same grandchildren or the great-grandfather and how each child or each person can be just a little bit different. How does that happen? I spoke to a young man here lately, and I actually called him back and, and to make sure that I, what he said was true. He grew up in a Catholic school, so I need to be careful. I mean, that, that is a difference, maybe. But he said by age 12 or 13, most of his peers questioned their belief in God. He went on to say by the time he graduated, by the time he was 18, more than half of the students did not believe in God at all or actually considered themselves atheists. This is in a so-called Christian school, if I can say it that way. This young man is 21 right now. And he said by the time he hit college, there is nothing godly there at all. And he's not going to any Christian college either. So what happens to our youth? What happens to our next generation? I believe it comes back to responsibility as us as parents, you as uncles and aunts, cousins, grandparents. All of us have a role to play in this. How do we pass on God to the next generation? 
The other point I was going to make when it comes to passing on the baton, and I talked about it just a little bit. After you pass it on, what is your job? I believe our job comes to be an encourager and to cheer for people. And obviously pray. Because uh, we want to see them heading the right way down the track. So I'm going to compare our life as Christians to running a race. And I've actually got three points. And it's always fun to do something interesting. So I took the word run and I spelled it out. R-U-N. So the first point is run. R is for run. If you want to win, you have to get in the race. How many of you ever sat beside something and said, that would have been fun to do? I, oh, I should have done that. Well, Christian, your Christian life is passing you by every day. Every day that you're not doing something, you're not running, is a day that you don't have anymore. Each one of us, I believe, if we want to be successful in passing on the baton and winning the race for our generation, we have to run. We have to, to want to run. I'd like to just read 1 Corinthians chapter 9, a few verses there. And I, am, I apologize. I am going to do a bunch of jumping around this morning. And if you don't care to follow along, that's up to you. 1 Corinthians chapter 9 couple verses say 24 to 27 know ye not that they which run in a race run all but one receiveth the prize so run that you may obtain and every man that striveth for the mastery is temperate in all things they do it to obtain a corruptible crown but we an incorruptible I therefore so run not as uncertainly as fight uncertainly so fight I not as one that beateth the air but I keep under my body and but I keep under my body and bring it into subjection lest that by any means when I have preached to others I myself shall be a castaway A lot of times we as parents end up being the preachers in our house too And I like that last verse Lest when I have means I have preached to others, I myself should be a castaway. And I've jokingly said, do as I say, not as I do. But in too many aspects of life, sometimes we as parents, we know, but do we truly do what we should? If you're going to tell somebody how to run the race of life, you have to run yourself. We talked about a little bit, but what's the biggest obstacle of running? Why don't I like to run a physical race? It's hard. It's exhausting. So if you're going to run the race, what does it take? It takes some endurance. I don't know why I imagine this sometimes, and it's, it's almost a nightmare, but yet not. Have you ever climbed up a ladder and then pictured the ladder falling over and you grab onto something and hang on? And there's nobody anywhere around. You, nobody knows you're even up there. It's, let's say, 15 foot down. You're, you're dead. How long can you hang on? Any of it? Crazy thoughts like that? If I really had to, how long could I hang on? 
Could I hang on with one hand long enough to grab my cell phone and call for help with the other, or would that be an instant drop? I've never had to do it yet, so I don't have the answer to that. But I believe somewhat in our Christian life, we have to consider sometimes hanging on to things, and how important is it to hang on to something? If I drop it, will it cause death spiritually? Only you can answer some of those questions. I don't have any real obstacles in mind here. But I believe the race that we're, we have to run as Christian take a lot of endurance. I know there's, there's things that are drudgery in, in, in our lives that we deal with every day. I remember, you know, I, there's just things that are no fun to do. But when you persevere and you do them, how much better you feel. Sometimes the race of life is letting go of some important, excuse me, in the race of life, letting go, like I said, can be a death to you. I'm trying to think of a, if I should, yeah. The, the, whole, the whole part of endurance is probably the biggest part, I believe, in our Christian life. If I had to, had to say it. Um, the other thing that I don't like about running is because it hurts. But the other thing I want to point out is, how many of you, if you wanted to run, would just walk out the and run? Would that work? And we're going to talk about a few of that things a little bit later. Running is not as bad when you have maybe the right equipment. I think we're going to leave R and move to U in run. The U stands for understand. Understand what you are running from and where you are going. Turn to Hebrews chapter 12. I'm going to read just a few verses there too. Familiar chapter. Hebrews chapter 12, 1 to 3. Seeing, wherefore, wherefore seeing, we also are compassed about with such a great cloud of witnesses. Let us lay aside every weight and the sin with that so easily beset us. And let us run with patience the race that is set before us. Looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of God, the right hand of the throne of God. For consider him that endured such contradictions of sinners against himself, lest ye be weary and faint in your minds. What are we running from? I talked earlier about if we were going to actually take up running, what would we do? I remember as a youngster, and, and I don't know, we were poor growing up, and we didn't get a lot of new clothes and new equipment. Everything I got come through two brothers, a lot of them. So it was, uh, 
It was, it was well-worn, and you know, shoes and everything included. But I remember getting a new pair of shoes once, and out at recess at school, I was sure I could run faster. And no, they weren't no Nike Air Jordans like everybody else had, but you guys remember those? Too young? I, I, yeah, that was kind of the rage when I was in school. Never got one. But anyways, I remember thinking with the right shoes on, that was the issue. I could run so much better. And I believe there is some truth to that. There is some equipment. I've appreciated uh, Dwight's messages in Ephesians the last several times. He talks about the equipment that we need. The breastplate, the helmet, all those things are all equipment that we need to run. And you say, well, that's encumbering you down. Well, when I say run, some days it's just putting one foot in front of another. It's not setting any speed distance, sprint or something. It is just putting one foot in front of each other. In fact, it refers to it later on here about walking. Because I believe eventually it comes down to that. But I remember, having the right shoes does help. Another thing, if you were going to run a race, would you fill your pockets with everything you might need on the way? If you're doing a, I don't know how long it'd have to be, but you might need an energy snack bar, you might need something to stick in your pocket, your keys, your wallet, bring some cash along just in case you need it at the end. Is that how you run a race if you're trying to win? Carry all the luggage you can with you? No. In fact, you get rid of everything you can. And that, that's maybe partly why I wouldn't be a good runner, because they kind of get rid of more than I care to get rid of sometimes. But they do things to, to, to give them a, a, an aim to be able to win. Down to, you know, guys even shaving their legs. Because that hair causes a little bit of resistance. They can get a little better speed if you get rid of that. Isn't that amazing how many guys would do that just for no reason? But anyways, we do things. We get rid of all the extra weight that besets us. When our Christian life, there's a lot of things that can weigh us down. I'm going to talk about just kind of one issue, but it, a lot of them can fall under that category. But I'd just like to ask you this morning, and only you can answer these questions, but... In your life, spiritually, what are you hanging on to that's holding you back? Is there anything? Are you all comfortable with your walk or your run with God this morning? I was going to have you rate your spiritual life from a 1 to 10, you know, and that's kind of scary. Because, you know, what would you say? We're Mennonites, you don't want to be proud, so... Probably can't give it a 10, so, but what am I? In my race in life, in my walk of life, spiritually, how would you rate your life? Are you average? Does average win the race? If you were running and you were just, well, I run average speed. Are you a winner? Probably not. So I believe in our, in our race in life, and our walk in life, we have to be above average. So if you're looking at somebody else around you and you're saying, well, I'm as good as he is, you're average. You're probably losing. 
Or maybe you're like, well, I don't care. I don't necessarily want to win this. If I finish the race, I did good. Because there's a lot of people that, you know, do them 5Ks or whatever them crazy thing, you know, long distance. And their goal is just to finish. And I believe that's a good goal to have, to finish the race. But in your running, do you want to just be average? And I think average has come, like I said, by looking around. And I'm like Zachary, I'm like Norman, I'm like Benjamin, so I'm, I'm okay. And I'm not bringing any of them down to my level, because they might be way ahead of me. But if you start comparing yourself among yourselves, the Bible says it's not wise. No, in your race, you don't look around, you look straight ahead. It doesn't matter who's behind you, you, you strive for Masters, as the Bible said. First Timothy chapter 6. I'm going to talk about one of the things that can beset us. Maybe when I talk about things like that, maybe it's because of its areas of my life that I struggle with. First Timothy chapter 6. I'm going to read verses 3 to 12. Not, wait a minute, I got that one wrong. There is no 1 Timothy 6. Oh, yes it is. I'm in the wrong. I'm getting nervous, guys. 1 Timothy chapter 6, starting in verse 3. If any man teach otherwise and consent not to wholesome words, even the words of our Lord Jesus Christ and the doctrine which is according to godliness, he is proud, knowing nothing but dotting about questions and strifes of words, whereof cometh envy, strife, railings, evil submersings, perverse disputings of men, of corrupt minds, destitute of the truth, supposing that gain is godliness. From such withdraw thyself. But godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into this world, and it is certain we can carry nothing out. And having food and raiment, let us therefore, let us be therewith content. But they that would be rich fall into temptation and a snare, and into many foolish and hurtful lusts, which drown men in destruction and perdition. But thou, O man of God, flee these things, and follow after righteousness and godliness, faith, love, patience, and meekness. Fight the good fight of faith. Lay hold on eternal life. Whereunto art thou also called, and hast professed a good profession before many witnesses? I think it's safe to say that the majority of us men spend an incredible, incredible a lot of our time trying to get, if I can say it, money. Or wealth, and I want to be first. To, I want to be the first person to say, "There's nothing wrong with money." It says it, but it says, "For the love of money is the root of all evil." When you begin to love something, it takes the place. It starts to cover other areas of your life. How many would say that you love your wife so much that you're willing to leave her all day long and go work somewhere 
so that you can bring her money. Is that how we word it? Probably not. But is that what we're trying to do? I could probably love my wife a lot more in a lot of days just staying home and taking care of things at home. But then I'm not providing for her and I'm not a good husband. So therefore, I have to decide what am I going to do today. Am I going to love my wife on her terms or am I going to love my wife on my terms? And sometimes we do all this stuff and aren't even conscious that we're doing it. It's just Monday. We've got to get up. We've got to go to work. The Bible says, with food and raiment, be there with content. I like Norman's thought this morning when he said, how many acres would it take to sustain yourself? Not very much. But that's not... That's not being all I can be. I mean, I can be above that. I, why would anybody settle for less? You know, and I've run into fanatics that live a different way than I do. And I think that's just foolish. But I've seen some very happy people that weren't encumbered in their race of this life with all the things that we can drag into when we're running after money. And I'm not ever saying that we cannot not work. Because the Bible talks about those that don't work shouldn't eat either. So it has to be a balance. But when is enough enough? I always dream, I wish I had this bank account that just maintained itself. And I could do whatever I wanted all day long. And somehow there'd always be enough there to pay the bills. I've decided that might be a wrong attitude. Sounds like a good thing, because then I could be home and help take care of the house and the children. I'd be there to speak life into the family members around me. I heard more people, divorce rate went up due to COVID when they had to coexist in the same house again. I mean, that can be a real problem. Sometimes going to work is... Okay, because it puts you out. No, I was joking. I remember when I, years ago, when I actually worked away from home for a period of time, I would feel guilty sometimes walking out the door. When Chase and Nolan were both one and two or two and four or whatever they were, screaming and, see ya, enjoy your day. But if you're going to pass on the baton in this race, What is important? How much money I can provide for my family? Or how much quality time and spiritual input I can put in there? And I am talking to myself because I struggle with this one. And I like to say it's not even always about the money. It's as a farmer, there's just certain things you have to do. If you're going to be a farmer, you have to plant your crops when it's time. You have to harvest them. You have to take care of your livestock. But am I sacrificing my race by doing it? Now, each one of you all could have something different than you could put into that spot. It may not be money, but a lot of things boils down to money. 
Time equals money in the day we live in. If money captures your time and energy, it's an idol. What we need is the righteousness, godliness, love for others. Or am I selfish? I get all I can, I can all I get, and I sit on the can. It's not hard to do. A lot of different things fall into this category of weights. Are you more concerned about the things of this world than the things of God? Are you more concerned about your reputation? And a reputation is a good thing. But if you're not willing to lay that down or cast that weight off, it can be a problem. Another issue, and I, I guess I'm going to say it. I heard a minister the other day on the radio. I don't even remember his name. I wasn't paying a bit of attention when he started talking. Where I checked in was when he said this. If you as a parent were driving your teenage son through a big city, an evil city, corrupt city, wickedness everywhere, and in that section of town you stopped and you told your son or daughter to hop out, have a good day, enjoy yourself, would that be very wise? It would sound like you're not a very good parent. But this minister went on to say, in the day and age that we live in today, that possibility is in most of our houses and in most of our pockets. The internet lets you take a trip anywhere you want to go. You can pursue the wickedest city that you want to go to. And I enjoy using the internet myself. It's, it's fun to look things up. You can buy things cheap, I think. You can find so much information in there. In fact, if it weren't for shipping, I mean, this would be perfect. I mean, you could get it now. You're like, boom, boom, there it is. And even now, it's like, get it in so many days. That's exciting. I can't run to town today anyways. I can have it here by the time I get to town anyways. How convenient. Nothing wrong with that. But how much time do I spend? The other day, and I'll be honest, I was trying to order new burners for my grill. And I'll bet you it took me longer than I could have driven to Menards, picked them up, and come home. Now, I'm not saying there's anything wrong with that. But do I ever have to discipline myself? You can even be looking up good things. But what, at what point... Do I have to get rid of the weights that so easy beset me? The other thing is, and I'm borrowing this because I heard it somewhere else, but I don't know who said it. Google has replaced God for our source of information. Who wants to 
spend the time to go look it up in the Bible, figure out what does God say about this? Or what should I do? Or I have a question about this. Oh, you talk it. You can even ask this. You don't even have to type it in. You can talk to them. And they'll spit you back some answer. Two seconds, you got an answer. And I don't know why it is this way, but with God, I believe he's constantly trying to teach us patience. Because I've had issues that I've dealt with and I've prayed about for long periods of time. And I don't feel like I get the answer that I want. Or that God is just silent. We live in a day and a generation, in an instant society, where you can have whatever you want, whenever you want it. And I believe it's dangerous. Instant gratification when things of God take time. You can't run a race in a few days. It's a lifetime. There's a lot of perseverance. There's a lot of pain associated with it. None of us like that. This 21-year-old that I talked to, I asked him, why do people leave the faith? What, do you have any answers for me? And he's not a Mennonite at this point. I think he's searching. But he said, I would never give my kids the internet until they were like 14 or older. He said a lot of his friends would look up things online that were against God. And they believed what the world had to offer because they were somehow fact. It's tangible. You can see it. You can get answers. I think we need to be very careful with our families and letting them surf the whole world. If you want to end the race well and pass that baton on, we have to live disciplined lives. It is going to hurt. There is going to be endurance. The world has a lot to offer to our youth. What do you have to offer? There's another thing that I believe in the Bible. The children of Israel constantly made monuments, and I say this often, but I believe monuments are important for a generation coming behind us to see. How many of you have experienced a miracle in your life? Anybody? How many of you have told other people about it? Your family? Your children? They need to know that God is working in our family or in our lives. I experienced a miracle back in December that I'm still today without pain. Nobody can quite explain that. I am calling it what it is. But I believe we need to tell people our journeys, the miracles that God has done for us. Because sometimes we are the words of God to other people. God uses us if we're willing to be used. 
Time is running out. I'm going to go to the last one really quick to wrap this up. Run, R-U-N, we got an N. No turning back. How many of you have ever run a race looking backwards? How many of you have ever driven down the road and turned? I have. It can be quite dangerous. We got a lot of examples in the Bible about looking back. The first one that popped in my life, or my wife, my mind, Lot's wife, that's what I meant to say. Look back, pillar of salt. We need to keep looking ahead. Where are you going? Luke chapter 9. I'm going to read a few verses there. Luke chapter 9, verse 62 says, And Jesus said unto him, No man having put his hand to the plow and looking back is fit for the kingdom of God. I wrestled with this verse a lot. And he's talking about, you know, he's calling his disciples or he's teaching about discipleship and, you know, the one person wanted to go bury his father or his mother, whatever it was, first. And at the end of this, he says, no man, having put his hand to the plow, looking back, is fit to the kingdom. I'd like you each just to think about in your life, do you have the plow hooked up? You have the plow in the ground? Are you plowing? And if you are, are you looking back? Because this seems to have a lot of weight on it. It's not fit for the kingdom of heaven. Usually you don't learn a lot by looking back. You have to keep focused on what's ahead. Philippians chapter 3. Read another verse here if I can find it quickly. Philippians chapter 3, 13 to 19. Brethren, I count myself, I count not myself to have apprehended, but this one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forth unto those things which are before. I press toward the mark, for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. Let us therefore as many be perfect, be thus minded, and if anything be otherwise minded, God shall reveal this unto them. Nevertheless, whereto we have already obtained, let us walk by the same rule, let us mind the same thing. Brethren, be followers together of me, and mark them which walk so as ye have us for an example." For many walk of whom I have told you often, and now I tell you even weeping, that they are the enemies of the cross of Christ, whose end is destruction, whose God is their belly, and whose glory is in their shame, who mind earthly things. If we're looking back from Jesus Christ, I believe we're looking back at earthly things. The children of Israel wanted to return to Egypt how many times? They would rather be slaves in Egypt than be free in a new land. 
How many of you would rather be slaves to this world and to sin than to focus on what's ahead of you? We have to trust in God because we can't always see what's ahead of us. But God holds our future. We have to lay down our old sinful lives and never look back. God ended up destroying the children of Israel because they couldn't stop looking back. Is there anything in your past that you can't stop looking back on? Call it what it is. Keep looking forward. So to end this all up, I'd like to say one thing. If you're here today and you uh, know a person that's went into the world, lost their way, and their family or friends of yours, there's still hope. Believe it or not, that Manasseh that I read about this morning, how wicked he was, he actually come back to God in the end. He did that which was right. So it is possible to get back on track and to get into the race. So this morning, run your race, understanding where you're going, and no turning back. Thank you.